You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning, church. Our focal passage this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. He had said this and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem and at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kelly. You guys can be seated and children can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. Wow. It's like that. Uh, my name is Michael, one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out for seven ways for a, a, a new you in 2022. How about that? Just kidding. That's not what we're doing today. Uh, we're going to look at the Bible. Um, but first, I want to tell you about a time when my kids were two and three, maybe. Ireland, Titus, I'm going to talk about you for just a second. I didn't get approval for this one. Sorry. Um, they were under three, I know that. They're 13 months apart. They could both stand up. They were pretty small. And uh, we, I, I'll say I, left them alone for about six seconds, just long enough for them to misuse a, a, a few markers and a highlighter. And, and I remember walking downstairs and looking, and I was just like, wow, right? Uh, a, a purple marker and a yellow highlighter was everywhere, all over themselves and each other and, and the walls. And I didn't find this until later, but like this sweet green kind of like satchel side bag I had, I, I figured that, that this was like the point of origin that began with like coloring on that, but then it like spilled out beyond that to one another and all the things. And I just remember saying like, um, trying to be cool, that is not what you use those for, Right? That's not the intended use of highlighters and, and markers. This is bad for your skin. This is bad for the walls. This is bad for me. And because that's true, this is bad for you, right? Um, maybe you've been a part of something like that. Uh, but, but let us not act like it's only kids who fail to use things the way that, we, uh, that, that they were intended to be used in, in this text that Kelly read about already this morning in John chapter 2, we see a similar moment <clears throat> where uh, some adults, and these adults happen to be the ones responsible for leading the temple, right? At the time, it was where God's people, the Jews, came together. And, and so they were responsible for managing the practice of the place where God's people met with 
God. Okay? And, and so Jesus shows up at his father's house, and it isn't being used for its intended purpose, and, and he, gets, he gets angry. And what we're going to see, big idea, is that, that as Jesus shows up at the temple, Jesus cleanses the temple to restore it back to its intended purpose. All right? And we're going to see this in three chunks. Uh, Jesus restores the temple, uh, and, and what we'll see through this text is, is the temple is for worship. We will see that, that this temple is temporary, and we will see that the temple is, is you, right? So let's jump in. The temple is for worship. I'm going to read this again, John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. For context, this is the second chapter of the Gospel of John. And John, we didn't get baby Jesus. He was grown man Jesus. And, and he showed up and he, he just began to do uh, the ministry that he came to fulfill, right? So it's kind of early on. We're just getting to know Jesus through the pen of John. So, so it's Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And the money changers were sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written. And this is a quote from, from the Psalms. I think it was Psalm 69, something or other. Zeal for your house will consume me. All right, so the temple is for worship. Think of, think of some holidays, right? I'm sure everybody has different holidays that come to mind, but you think of why those holidays exist. Most holidays are either like memorials or remembrances or celebrations of something that that has happened. We have national holidays. We have Independence Day, and, and Independence Day is something that's kind of been celebrated for a long, long time in, in different ways, and that's, that's our, our, our nation's birthday, right? Um, and then you have uh, 9-11, which is a memorial, you know, kind of holiday that, that we say never forget, never forget what happened on that day. And, and then we have religious holidays, and one that we just kind of walk through as, as a as a nation, as a, as a global community in some sense, Christmas, where we look at, at the birth of Jesus, and we have Easter, where we look at the death of Jesus, and, and all those things. So, so what they're doing here is they're celebrating a holiday called Passover. And Passover is the holiday celebration of God's initial rescue, God's initial salvation for his people from the hand of the Egyptians. And if you want to read more about this, right, Exodus chapter 12 kind of sets this up on what they're doing. But, but basically, Passover is, is the Jews remembering God's saving work through the blood of the Lamb to save his people from, from sin, right? And so what happened was uh, God was rescuing his people from the hand of Pharaoh and Egypt and the powers that be, and, and he sent some plagues, and the last one was the angel of death, which would come at night, and, 
And basically Moses, God told Moses to tell the people that if you, if you slaughter a lamb and you put its blood on the doorpost, that will be the sign that we know, that the angel of death knows to skip your house and, and death will not come to that household. That's what they're celebrating. God's work to deliver them. And up to this point where we see Jesus here, if you talk to anybody uh, that, that was part of the family of God, they would point to this moment as like the, the climax of why they believe, because God rescued us. Just like we point to the cross, this was their redemption that they pointed back to, right? And so, uh, but we, we've already seen that, that Jesus is the lamb who will take away the sins of the world. And so there's all kinds of connections here. So Passover, big deal, a week-long festival celebration Every man over 19 years of age within 15 miles was required to be there. So you have a lot of people. Many, many more than that were there from everywhere. It was, it was a week-long festival, singing, celebrating, uh, remembering, sharing meals. Um, and like any, anything intended to remember moments in time, it seems to have lost its intended purpose. Like, we just can't relate to that, can we? Right? You think of probably, like, our, our nation's Independence Day and then what, like, what a celebration looks like. It's like, oh, it's a day off where people just drink a lot, right? And so, like, oh, okay, is, is that what that... Or, or you look at Christmas and, like, oh, the birth of Jesus and, you know, we just love all the things, right? So, so you can see how we get here, right? This is kind of a human problem, Thankfully, though, I think many of us in this room do try to, to capture holidays, and, and we celebrate Advent as a community and as a church, and I know many of your families celebrate Advent to just remind ourselves and remind our, our kids and family and, and friends or whoever um, why we do those things. So Passover is, is the context. That's what's going on, and, and the temple is the location of this interaction, um, it's intended to point back to God's saving work, forward to Jesus' saving death that they don't know yet. But what it has become is really just a cash grab. Lots of people are coming in. When there's lots of people, there's lots of opportunity. You imagine there are vendors and exploitation and opportunity to make a buck, maybe even to make a name for yourself. Jesus shows up, and he is furious. He's having none of it, right? Uh, we know this because he observes what's happening, and then he responds to the scene. Could you imagine Jesus and his disciples with him as he's walking up? Hey, like we're going, we're going to go to the temple, and, and as they're walking up, it's just, you imagine jugglers and, you know, like unicycle people and like all kinds, and they're just like, what is this? What is happening? Gets inside, surely he gets inside and there's literally pigeons and, and, you know, over here farm animals and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, nope, this is not, this is not, not today, all right? That's what he said. Uh, because you imagine he's been a part of this his whole life. It's not like they're just doing this for the first time. So he, he, he sees what's happening and he says, not today. Uh, and, and it's the craziest thing. He isn't all soft focus, baby blue eyes Jesus. He isn't all love is love Jesus. 
we see him act quite differently. Look, he, he doesn't just grab a whip. He makes a whip. Like, he didn't just grab one off of, like, I'm sure you could buy one, right? He didn't just grab one, but he, like, sits there, and you imagine he's like, okay. Like, now what this would look like if you or I were just, like, we're saying things. How could he, you know, you know like, and he's making the whip, and then he's like, okay, it's, it's go time. He, it's, it's a calculated effort, a calculated event. He makes a whip. It's, it's like, uh, you know, I'm going to grab a switch off the tree, and, like, you're going to get it, right? That, that's what's going on. So he says, get out of my father's house. How dare you use this sacred place for your selfish gain? And so that takes us to like maybe a question that you've not thought before. Like, can Jesus be angry? Or you might look at this and say, that's not the Jesus that I know. Can Jesus be angry? I'll, I'll read a quote from a commentary, Exalting Jesus and John. I think they bring the, the point home well. It says, Jesus doesn't lose his temper. He's not out of control. He doesn't fly off the handle, but he is angry. He's in control of his emotions, and he can articulate why he's angry. And he displays his anger without sinning. That's really important. Because the sounds of confession have been replaced by the sounds of commerce. Gone are silent prayers to God. They have been exchanged for the angry chorus of men haggling over the price of bulls and sheep. The cooing of doves and the stink of manure now occupy the place that used to be reserved for men to humble themselves and worship God. Jesus levels a charge, but the charge is not unethical practices. They've twisted the purpose of the temple. Jesus is denouncing impure worship. The holiness and gravity of worship have been lost. People have forgotten why they come to the temple in the first place. Like, I get it. The temple then is different from this basement now. Right? And so it's not apples to apples. It's not, it's not the same thing. But but man, there are some connections that we can make. The people have forgotten why they come to the temple in the first place. It's easy to, to begin making decisions about God's place, about God's people that are, that are chasing distractions. All right, suppose we make more of the village church than we do of Jesus. Man, it's a small step. If, if when you tell your story, the hero is the village church, man, I'm, that's great Like for lots of reasons. But I would just encourage you to, to know that the village church as a community, that's not, that's not the hero of your story. Right? And for many like, who are part of, of Young Life or, or Navigators or Crew or whatever it is, like, it's so easy to make those things. And, and, and your story it, it apexes with a group of people that met on a whatever night. And, and man, that's great. But just make sure that your story, that the author of your story is not being hijacked by, by a character in the story. Right? And so it's so easy to do. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe you make life more about being generous than the God of generosity. Being generous is a good thing. 
but just make sure that, that you're not hijacking the, the greater purpose, right? Being generous isn't the thing. It's the God of generosity. Like, we begin to worship good things like community instead of acknowledging community as the good gift that, that points us to the giver of all gifts. This is how idols work. We, we take a thing like marriage, and we, we begin to worship that thing not as a gift from the author of life, but as as the primary thing that gives us life. And we can see how they get to a place like this. Really practically, if you look around the village church, like this, this gathering of the people today, and there are TVs around, and you say, oh, they probably didn't have TVs in the first century. And I would say, you're probably right. right? Super low res, right? Um, so, so you might look around or, or as... Uh, so you ask the question, are, are we sellouts to the intent of the gathered church and the kingdom? Some might say so, right? Uh, or as Scott mentioned earlier, we have a live stream at, and a YouTube, YouTube channel, and sometimes we, we record a podcast and, and whatever. And so you can look at those things, and to be clear what Scott said, he said, I don't do this very often. I don't normally acknowledge the live stream. Like, that's not an accident. We, we, we made a decision to, to offer that in a difficult time of life, but we also see the fruit of it that, that God uses that to extend his word and, and allow the people to gather even when they can't gather and all those things. But here's the thing. The people uh, on the other side of a screen, they're not why we're doing this. Y'all are. So those things are supplemental to the gathered church. It's not the thing. And I get it that some churches might go out of their way and they say, you know what, we're going to be like a, a global brand. And we're, yeah, that's not us today. Like our priority is to pastor the people that, that we get to live life with, right? But you can see how uh, there, there are lots of decisions to be made. There's lots of balance and, and it's worth having conversations. And as elders, we have conversations like that a lot. In the next few months, we talked about selling uh, maybe like uh, some village hats or t-shirts to offset some, to, to raise some funds for, for church stuff in Guatemala or, or to help people go to Guatemala. So when you come in and you see a, a little booth set up with a shirt, it's like 20 bucks, like are you going to be like, Dee! like freak out and take us to Second uh, John chapter 2 and say, man, you, you've, you've sold out. Like where are the pigeons? Right, and so th this is like, we, we get to engage this with our heads screwed on, and, and we get to, to understand that the gathering place, this place, man, it's important for lots of reasons, right? We, we uh, are always adapting, changing methods with the unchanging message of the gospel, right? That's what's been true. I, I'm sure at some point when people started printing things, the 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 community that was all about the oral traditions lost their mind. People aren't going to be able to use their brains or be able to tell a story. It's just all right here in front of them, right? So, so we have to use our, our brains, but, but we get to look at that, and, and we get to put uh, the understanding that, that there is contextual missionary engagement that's been happening for a long, long time. What Jesus is confronting, I don't think, is any of that. He's confronting the, the sacred space designed for the things of God that, that help us engage and stir affections for God being hijacked for selfish gain. And, and in a way that distracts from worship and mission. It doesn't supplement it. 
The temple is for God worship. And here's the thing. So is everything else. In the Garden of Eden, when God created everything that was, and, and Adam and Eve, and the garden was the temple. There were, there were many things in it that pointed to this idea of Eden, that all of life was, was the temple. All the earth was for God's glory, and when the inhabitants, that is creation, lived in light of that, they were most satisfied in the fullness of God. And when that happened, God was most glorified throughout all the earth. These people in this scene, they don't know it yet. But what Jesus, what Jesus is coming to do is to reestablish, to reclaim, to restore all the earth for its intended purpose. Because of his death, the, the Spirit has taken all creation as his temple. And we get to use everything that we have as an opportunity to draw near to him and to put the fullness of God on display. So a couple reflection questions as we consider just this first point that the temple is for worship. How do you use the things or the people of God or the things God intended to be used for worship for unintended purposes? Do you find your righteousness in your faithfulness to morning devotions? It's real easy. Or is, it, or is it in the one who is utterly devoted to you? Do you know that God loves you because of how often you pray? Or do you pray as often as you do because of his great love for you? See, we're constantly making the change. In this scene, the, the good rituals and celebrations and habits and, and intentions have been lost. And all that's left is a big hollow building to store the coins and currency of self-worshipping commerce. But Jesus cleanses the temple to restore it back to its intended purpose. The second thing we see, this temple is temporary. The one that they're, that they're uh, interacting, the, the setting of this little, inter, uh, starting in verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Ha, ha, ha. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Lots of stuff here. Like, show us a sign. On whose authority are you speaking, young man? Who said that you could do this? You know the story of, of Hansel and Gretel. I think this is right. Hansel and Gretel, they left the breadcrumbs? Yes. Taylor Frank. It's good. So I don't remember the story, something about a witch and something, but I believe there's two kids and they're going into the woods and they're like leaving breadcrumbs and they're like, this will help us find our way back. Um, and I don't think they found their way back. It was a, it was a tough go. I know that. But, but here's the thing. Jesus, he, he is, we know this, he is the bread of life. 
He's leaving breadcrumbs all along the way to get his people home that they might find a meal, the bread of life through his life offered. Here he lays breadcrumbs to lead his disciples back home, back to him, even after he is gone. So destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. And they have this moment, 46 years, young man, 46 years it took to build this. I don't think that's going to happen. You're going to build it in three days? Do you know all, you know, like it's like, you know that these were just old, like get off my lawn. Which, dude, I get that. Gosh, stay off my, I can just imagine this young-ish, I guess. He's like early 30s. That's pretty young, I think. And he comes in and he says, we're not doing this. And they said, yeah, we are. Because like, you know, that wing of the temple is named after my great-granddaddy. That's, that's the context. Here's the, the sweet thing about this. He says this to them, and they can't understand it. There was no way that this was even for them. It was for us who follow. It was for those disciples that were with him that would see this play out. Right? They can't understand what's going on. He says it to them, but it's for those who follow. He isn't saying this for the moment, but for moments to come. Why? That we might believe. That's why he's saying this. And that's, what it, that's exactly what it says, that, that later on the disciples would, would see these breadcrumbs that Jesus had been laying all, all along when, therefore, he was raised from the dead. This is in the future. They don't have this reality yet. This is John helping us see. He's, he's the voiceover narrator of what was actually going on in this moment. His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture in the word that Jesus had spoken. You know, when, those, uh, when, when you're in a conversation and everyone's an expert, you probably never experienced that. Maybe you've never experienced that because you don't, you don't have conversations. You just look at people all day long, right? That was, that was, fair. That was unfair. But here's the thing. You know those, those times when everyone's an expert, but you have like a window into a world that they can't know? Like, like someone shares a meme on some hot button issue, but you actually read a book. <laughs> and you're like, that's great. You just forwarded a meme, but, but I've, I've read 12 books on the topic. I actually know a little bit about this. You don't know what you're talking about. You ever been there? Is it, am I the only one? Okay, it's okay. That's true. Yeah, that, that is true, John. Uh, so, so people tell you about a way that you're doing things wrong or, or about the way that things are because they saw a 15-second TikTok. But you've done the work to know the ins and outs. And you've lived in it for a long, long time, and you would like roll your eyes, just think, like I, like you, like you literally have no idea what you're talking about. Now, I'm not painting a picture that we get to be arrogant, right? Like, uh, I'm not minimizing learning from others at any point along your life. We get to always listen, and we get to continue. Like, I graduated from Wright State University with an undergrad in. Uh, in education, and like, if I didn't hear the word lifelong learner once, I mean, I heard it 10,000 times, right? 
That's what we are, and that's what we get to establish. Lifelong, like we never stop learning. So look, in humility, we get to learn, and we get to listen. But man, I, I've sat on the other side of that screen where I thought, oh my gosh. Could you imagine Jesus literally with every encounter with, you know, every human he ever in, interacted with? And, and, and the arrogance that they come to him and say, uh, on whose authority do you speak? And he's like, oh, you, have, you literally have no idea. Like, breath in your lungs, that's from me. You want to talk authority? The temple of 46 years? How about all of the entire universe in an instant? Can you imagine what that felt like? For Jesus? And these people, they don't know, they literally don't know who they're dealing with, and that's, that's okay. Um, the, the temple is a place set apart for, for God's people to be near to God's presence. That's what, it's, that's what it's always been. And there were kind of temporary houses, a tent, a tabernacle, a temple, all these things. Um, and so here's what we have to understand. God was never confined to a particular place, space, and time. I'll say it one more time. God was never confined to a particular place, space, time. But hear this, we are, and he meets us where we are, and we have always been limited. It's January 2nd, 2022. In your plans to work out this year, let me ask you this. When, when you work out, do you do whatever, whenever, wherever? Yeah, no, I got big plans. What are they? I want to work out. Oh, when? What? Where? Meh. Okay, if that's the way you think of it, here's, um, you, you don't work out. But if you have a place and a purpose and a plan, maybe people that you're coming alongside, some shared desire, rhythms that support your purpose, then you might have a shot. The idea of the temple, it, it makes a lot of sense just very practically, which is why God is so concerned with the people worshiping him with a where and a when and a, and a with whom, right? We, we know that the Bible later on in, in Hebrews would say, don't forsake the assembly, don't stop gathering together as God's people. The temple isn't built on God's limit, it's built on our limit. He has long since known that the temple here, this one, the tabernacle before, have been but a shadow, a foretaste, an appetizer for the temple that will be. And he's been laying breadcrumbs when you, when you uh, right, it's, it's January 2nd. Right? And, and your read the Bible in a year plan that you're, that you're in, which is great, do that, right? And you're reading the Old Testament, you're saying, gosh, I don't, just, just know that Jesus is laying breadcrumbs for you to see and taste and follow to him. So when we look at this temple, 
the priest bridging the gap between God and man, the blood sacrifice, atoning for sin, the place where people go to meet God, all of it, the breadcrumbs pointing us to Jesus. Those things were temporary because of the sinfulness within mankind, but Jesus comes to establish the true and better temple which all other temples point to, the righteous one being in a place stirring the hearts of the people so that they might worship God so that we might know him, trust him, treasure the fullness of God above all else in purity, not distracted or marred, but set apart perfectly before God with one another until he comes, and we get to do that forever. Mark chapter 14, we hear this, it, it, it builds the case. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days I will build another that's not made with hands. What is he talking about? Jesus is declaring, I am the temple. You didn't build me and you can't destroy me. I am the, the very presence of God. I am the place where heaven meets earth. I am heaven and earth. And I am forever. Jesus cleanses the temple to restore it back to its intended purpose. It is temporary in this scene, but he is forever. And then we see the last thing, the temple is you. Uh, it'll take us a second to get there, but read with me in, in John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at, Passover, at the Passover feast, so it's still the same week, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs that he was doing, so he's doing stuff, right? He, he turned water to wine at the wedding, and so he's continuing to do stuff, and people are like, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I will follow you. He is the one. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The old, like, I'm a good person. Jesus is like, no, you're not. T take heart. You're not. And at this time, he's unwilling to, and, and like, what does this mean? I, we don't really know, but, but he did not entrust himself to the people. He didn't give himself to them in some way in fullness. He's, he's showing them glimpses of who he is, but he's not giving them all of him. The human condition Jesus came to serve and save, it isn't a good condition. It's terminal. That's, that's, that's where Jesus meets us. There is something comforting, though, you know, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. I, I don't know about, it's why Kevin McAllister goes to a church building, right, when he's home alone. He finds comfort in that. And, and anybody, church-going folk or not, sees that and thinks, well, that makes sense. Like, why does that make sense? Why, why would we want to do that? It, it's why people who aren't in Christ don't want to be in a, a temple because they might meet God. And that's frightening. It should be frightening solace in the gathered assembly with the people of God. If he is anywhere, man, 
He's bound to be in, in stained glass cathedrals under a steeple where God's people have worshipped him for generations, right? That makes sense. But, but what if he wasn't confined to a place? And what if our only shot to be with the true temple wasn't to have been here when Jesus walked the earth as, man, what if we still have a shot to have a place to be a people who meet with God. In fact, I believe this is, this is probably the greatest need of every human that's ever walked the earth. That we be able to meet God. So much that, that Jesus knows that the people need him but he isn't at a place where he can give himself to them in fullness just yet. There is a, a longing in humanity that, that wants to be with God. There's a, a singer-songwriter named John Mark McMillan. He sings this song, right? He says, deep inside of me, it's funny to, to read song lyrics because I'm not in it, right? Deep inside of me, there's this burning that just won't let go. You are my fire. You are my righteousness. You are my rock and roll. I wish I could fit you down inside my chest, God. I wish that I could swallow you whole. I'd wrap you up in a blanket of my skin, and you could call my body home. That's the longing. God, can I just be... Can I be near to you? Is there a place like that? Is there a time where you and I could be that close? The God of all creation? The redeemer, rescuer, sustainer? The one who holds all things together? God, could I, could I be this near to you? He goes on, he says, because I am a temple. I am a temple. My body is a temple. I, I am a temple. And then he says this. He, he screams it out. So what if I'm not worthy? So what if I'm not worthy? So what if I'm not worthy? Because you have made me clean. Paul later clarifies in, in 1 Corinthians, after Jesus has lived his life, died, resurrected, ascended, ruling and reigning, he says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We don't build our theology from song lyrics, right? Or TikTok videos, right? Those can be helpful, though, so long as they're supported in Scripture, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from You are not your own. That's either aloe to the sunburn of life or it's something to fight against with all of your strength. Do you embrace that? Do you entrust yourself 
run from anything that looks like that. See, Jesus wasn't able to entrust himself to them then, but he has to us now. It isn't because we're better people. It's not because they didn't have a holy temple, but we are a holy temple. It's because he came to restore his people to a place where we can be in the presence of God. You are not your own because Jesus came to be the temple that invites us to join him as the temple of the living God. And he does in us exactly what he did in the temple in the first century. He rids it of all the distractions of the things not befitting for the place and the people of God. He turns over tables inside of us. What a gift. They didn't see it as a gift. They said, who do you think you are? That's not the way we do things. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way we do things. Jesus cleanses the temple to restore it back to its intended purpose. That means that he is restoring us by faith in him alone, to what we were from the beginning, a reflection of the glory of God with every thought, breath, word, and deed. So we get to live our lives as living sacrifices of active worship through him and to him. We get to Invite him to turn over the tables of our own heart to make us temples fit for place because he has already made us clean. So what if I'm not worthy? You have made me clean. So maybe that could be our prayer today. God, would you rid me of all the junk that tarnishes the way that people see you through me? And, and we, we get to go live clean, gathered and scattered as steeples, shining light on the glory of God wherever we are. See, the thing about my kids and those markers, even at that young age, kids know well what markers are used for. Every under three-year-old kid knows this. Everybody knows what markers are used for. Making beautiful pieces of art for mom and dad. What else would you do? You're three years old. You still liked us. <laughs> Jesus restores the temple so that it paints a picture of God and he, and he becomes the temple so that it is the beauty of God and he lets us join the painting to point to the worship, the glory, the splendor day after day, night upon night, in good times and bad times, the beauty of God. That's what we get to do. So real quick, the band can come on up as we, like how do I respond to this? Well, here, here's a couple ways. One, you, you can trust God today. And I don't just mean like trust, I, I, mean tr I mean trust him. Trust God today and commit to living a life with him, through him. What if you did that? And you might be sitting there saying, I don't even know what that would look like. And you might say, I, this is the first time I've ever gathered with a church before, I, I have no idea. Or you might be saying, I've, I've been a part of church my whole life, but maybe you've never done that. 
Would you trust him and commit to living a life with him, through him? Secondly, invite him to cleanse you. Like he's already made you clean. You can already stand before God perfectly, not because you're great, but because he's great. You can already do that. So just invite him in in the flesh, the way that that your life in him shows up. Uh, Invite him to remind you of the places unfit for his presence and ask him to get rid of those things for your joy, for your good, for his glory. And, and then go living as a beautiful picture of pure worship. God, glory, gathered with others, scattered on mission, inviting all that would come and dwell with him forever. It's pretty sweet, huh? We get to respond, we get to pray. You can do that right where you are. Right? If you want to talk to someone, we would love to talk with you. Um, there will be some people back by that red tree. We would love to pray with you. Uh, if there's something that you want to share with us, that you don't feel comfortable talking to someone, just write it down on a Connect card, take it to the Connect desk, or or drop it in one of these black mailboxes. If you just want to pray by yourself over there, there's a prayer bench, you can do that. If you're in Christ, and you said, yes, this is my life, and and I do it imperfectly, but but this is me. I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to trust Him. If you've done that, then we invite you to take communion, or we take the cup and and the wafer as, as a reminder and as a declaration of the body that was broken by Jesus and the blood that was spilled for us. Would you pray with me? Because we get to sing and pray together as one in your name. Would you just show us who we are not and show us who you are? Would you show us the places where we might tell Jesus on whose authority do you have to speak to me that way? Would you let us put down our guard and invite him in to turn over the tables of our own hearts and our own lives where we have exchanged worship of God for for self-benefit and selfish gain? God, we need you and we thank you for the love that you have for us. May we love you in response by the lives that we live. In Jesus' name, amen.